Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child through the method of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mechie Lozano. Today we are continuing our three-part series all on materials. So last episode, we listened to Jana Gobi's words about materials from an article that she wrote. And I will put a link in our show notes if you would like to read that article. But go back if you didn't get to listen to that article because it is full of a lot of really great wisdom about the materials that we use in the atrium and how unique they are, but also the unique perspective we have on them. So today I have Diane Olson and Linda Catalano on the podcast again, and we are going to be discussing four of our characteristics of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that specifically have to do with materials. We have 32 points of reflection or 32 characteristics of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. These characteristics were developed back in 1993 and have been revised a few times from the Concilio, which is the International Council of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And they define what is our work of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So today we're going to specifically looking at four points of the 32 that's that have to do with materials. Diane, Linda, and I happen to all be in the same location helping lead formations. And so we just went up to the level two atrium and hunkered down and had ourselves a really great conversation. So I hope you enjoy. Linda, Diane, welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Thank Thank you. you. It's always good to be with you. Yes, it is. It's always fun to have you guys. (laughs) So for anybody who might not have heard the previous episodes that y'all have joined me on, how about you introduce yourself and just a little bit of how you're involved in catechesis. Uh, my name is Diane Olson. I coordinated a CGS program at Holy Trinity Parish in Lenexa, Kansas for about 23 years, just recently retired from that. I'm also a formation leader for level one and two and have been involved in CGS since 1991. That's awesome. That's over 30 years. That's I awesome. Know, I know. <laughs> I'm Linda Catalano, and Diane and I were in that same first formation. Oh, together. really? I didn't yes. know that. Notre Dame. Yep. So um, I am in Trinity at uh, a parish in Southern California, and we've had our atrium one, two, and three for all those years. I do am a formation leader. I do levels one, two, and three, working on toddler, and would never do anything else. (laughs) So who was y'all's formation leader? Rebecca, Mm -hmm. Linda, Kale, Betty Hisson. Mm -hmm. Quite the team. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it was amazing. I think it was the first national course, wasn't it? Might have been. I think it might have been. So did y'all go for like a solid two weeks? Yes, over two summers. Mm -hmm. For part one was two weeks long Mm -hmm. and part two was two weeks long. I swear, us young catechists don't even realize how good we have it. We all, yeah, we were traveling. My mother-in-law kept my kids for me. I went when my sixth child was three months old, which I think now I look back and think it was insane (laughs) that I went at all, but I was so hungry for it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a great experience. 
But mm-hmm. by the end of the two weeks, we were so punchy, our skits oh, were we were. <laughs> I bet that's also what formed the community yes. of that generation of catechists. Mm-hmm. So it's strong as y'all's yes. long, intense formations yeah. that y'all did together. I remember I had my three-month-old with me, and I was a little nervous coming because I thought, I'm bringing a baby when mm-hmm. he cries. You know how moms are so sure. self-conscious about that. And I walked in, and Tina Lillig was behind the greeting the desk greeting people, and she said, um, unsolicited, she said, I'm so glad you brought your baby because this work, children's yes. what this work is all about. I love that. Absolutely. And so I just felt good right away. And oh, we good. had little sheep as our name tags. Mm-hmm. They had a littler <laughs> sheep for my son's son. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that so that's cute. perfect. I appreciate that about this work also because even within ministries within the church, you don't feel like you're just supposed to bring your children Which is so counter, Mm -hmm. but I've never felt that way in this work. All my children have come to formations and stuff, (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's good. Yeah, it's beautiful. For that formation, I had to wean my two-year-old because she sure wasn't coming with me. Yeah, two-year-old, that's harder, you're right. (laughs) Two-year-old's a little harder. (laughs) Okay, so today we are going to talk about four of the characteristics of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, also called the 32 Points of Reflection. We're going to talk about four that specifically have to do with materials. Hopefully to help people understand the value of the materials, what their true function is, but also to inspire people to want to put their hands on the materials and and really make materials themselves as well. So I'll start by reading one of the characteristics and then we'll just kind of ponder what it means. So number 17 states... A material is placed at the disposal of the children. The children's personal work with the material aids their meditation on and absorption of the theme presented. In settings where it is not possible to have an atrium, another valid instrument for announcing the Christian message consists in the workbooks and catechists' guidebooks, I Am the Good Shepherd. The voice of the Good Shepherd can reach the child through different instruments, but regardless of the particular instrument, the voice of the Good Shepherd resounds in the depths of the heart. I think that's one of the things that sets catechesis apart from other religious education, is that we give the children a material to work with. So we present or proclaim or look at scripture or moments of liturgy, but then the Holy Spirit teaches the child through the material. Mm -hmm. I just love that. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And you can see in so many ways the way that that happens. Yes. Whether it's the quiet contemplation or the more active conversation with the older kids or the artwork or the prayer, original prayers that they write. Mm-hmm. or even when you, uh, there's a young child using the material and you saunter over and say, would you like me to read the booklet, the scripture? Mm-hmm. And they say, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> They're content with whatever's going on between them and God mm-hmm. using this material. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fabulous. Mm. What really speaks to me with this this characteristic is this idea that the material is more important. Then the child working with the material is more important than my presentation of the yes. material. And I think so many times 
in I, I, Maria Montessori talked about this as well. I wish I could quote her, but she said people come to her in her work and they look at her materials and they want to replicate the materials. And right. she said, you're supposed to be looking at the child, yes. not the materials. <laughs> and I think that happens with us as well. They, we have some really great materials that people are like, well, I want to use that in this lesson. And they've lost the idea that the material is actually more about not a teacher's aid, like Jean has said in her article, but for the child and God to speak to each other through this tangible material for them. Actually, it needs times and space for the child to sit with this material to really ponder who are you, God? Mm-hmm. And I think with the youngest children, too, we can get in the way. And I love the observation podcast you did with Lynn Worthington. Mm-hmm. Because she specifies each atrium session. She designates a certain amount of time where she sits in a chair and observes. Mm-hmm. And that way, she's not always, quote, helping a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what is Montessori's phrase? Any mm-hmm. any help that's unnecessary is really it's a hindrance. A hindrance, right, right. Yes. So mm-hmm. am I, as a catechist in a session, keeping a child from listening to the voice of God through my, yes. quote, help? Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to take that to heart after I read her or listened to that podcast because I thought, I don't sit and observe enough in a session. Oh. I, I mm-hmm. am guilty of being the helpful catechist, you know, oh. <laughs> so I need to sit. And the children sometimes flounder a little bit because they expect the adult to be mm-hmm. the That's aid. true. And mm-hmm. if you just tell them my work is observing and they just look at you puzzled and maybe they walk around a little bit, but then all of a sudden they're using the material. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're in conversation with God. So that gets me out of the way. <laughs> it does. The true teacher is at work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the children are sometimes a little uh, amazed when I say, when they ask, what am I doing when I'm observing? Yeah, I'm doing my work. <laughs> so they know they don't bother each other when they work, so they go do their thing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... It's like a habit to have to sit on your yes. hands. <laughs> yes. You have to build like a muscle. You have to build up to get really used to mm-hmm. doing nothing. And mm-hmm. in that, that is okay. Mm-hmm. But you really are doing something. Yes. You're just not doing active. an important thing. Right. But it doesn't look like it. Yeah. All right. Number 18 states, the material must be attractive, but sober. It must strictly adhere to the theme being presented. In making the material, the catechist refrains from adding superficial embellishments that would distract the child from the essentials of the theme being presented. In other words, the material must be simple, essential, and poor in order to allow the richness of the themes content to shine through. Ah, yes. Uh, tell a story on myself. I had a beautiful little cradle on which I had put in Hebrew the name John, and I put it in that visitation material. (laughs) And I thought, oh, this is so sweet. Elizabeth would have prepared, and and she knew that distracted the children amazingly, so it came out. Mm -hmm. So... The children really don't need all those embellishments that we think are so wonderful. They need what's essential. And that's so hard because there's so many pretty cute things yes. out in the world. Yes. <laughs> and you think, oh, 
this would be so nice. I always love the idea of the catechist before the beginning of the atrium here, standing in the door of her atrium, looking in and thinking, what can I, what's the one thing I can take out? Take out. Ooh, I like that. What's the one thing Mm -hmm. I can remove? Whether it's a piece of artwork, you know, we religious art that you think is beautiful, but it doesn't need to be in the atrium. Right. It's not adding anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, we just have to be so, it feels severe sometimes, but it's really just essential, right? Yeah. We're just getting down to what Part of really. our pruning, yeah. I think. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and it does, though, it, it, when you're essential, it does cause your focus to hone in on the one or two or three details that are the essential points that we're trying to actually convey. And when you add more things to the walls or maybe to the background of a a diorama or a character's Mm -hmm. clothes or whatever, um, or the words that we speak in a presentation, um, what we're doing is making the eyes shift away from Mm -hmm. what's essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I also like the way that they said the material must be attractive, but yes. sober. It also should be beautiful. Um, I love that. Um, I, I like to tell the story about a, a Montessori blog I read one time where she talked about she was observing that her class was not using the flower arranging. So she really looked at the flower arranging work and realized that it really wasn't beautiful. So she changed some of the things on it to make it more attractive, not embellished, just beautiful. Mm. And she found that the children worked with it so much more nice. after that. Mm-hmm. So we're attracted to beauty. That is a normal human, beautiful human piece of who we are. Mm. And that's okay. You know, and it's easy to say that, but how do you define beauty? Yeah, and sure. that can be such a subjective thing. Yeah. It can, but plain is not always the same as simple. Simple can be beautiful. Plain isn't necessarily beautiful. It can be, but it isn't necessarily. Can you give an example? I'm thinking of of the uh, little soap dish that we have at our hand washing. It's a a little rectangle that has very um, pastel decorated flowers painted on it. It has a little blue rim. It's beautiful, but it's very simple. So nothing on it is raised, it's just a... No, it's wall. just painted on, yes. Mm. Or the the bowls that we have for our um, spooning, dry spooning in, in our practical life area. They're not just plain, clear, or, or just white. They're a lovely, very simple oriental uh, branch of some sort of flower. I don't even know what... Um, Basically brown, a little bit of blue, and then these white flowers. Very beautiful, but very simple. Mm -hmm. I think, too, you can maybe use as a guide the way you react to something when you see it. That's a good idea. I've seen catechists, oh, you know, looking through their storage, and all of a sudden, oh. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) That's the one. That's the one. Really simply, I think of plastic versus wood. Ooh. I really love wood. Mm-hmm. Yes. The wood can be simple but very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, different tones, different stain, different shine. And um, it, it's just always inviting. It just feels it good is. in your hand. Yes. Um, 
you know, the, that elusive mm-hmm. beauty. How do you define it? Right? Yeah, exactly. Anything I think from the natural world has that simple but beauty element. Yeah, God knew what God was doing. And of course, watching <laughs> the child too. Like I sitting in a presentation with the child and the background of the diorama was capturing their attention more than um, mm-hmm. the essential elements tells me I'm not being essential. Yes. Or if they're not attracted to a material at all, it might not be beautiful. Mm-hmm. So watching the child and letting them tell us if it's something is beautiful or essential enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good gauge as well. I have to mm-hmm. say too, though, that I was very puzzled to finally see the pictures of the dioramas from Rome when mm-hmm. they were oh. put in the online manual mm-hmm. because some of them are very detailed. Yeah, they are. The birth of Jesus and Adoration of Shepherds and and Elizabeth's house with mm-hmm. all the little goodies in it. I remember the first mm-hmm. time I saw it, I thought, isn't this dollhouse material? <laughs> <laughs> so then again, how did the kids use it? How did they respond exactly. to it? So mm-hmm. um, sometimes it can be more detailed and yet not distract. It's, mm-hmm. it's such a fine line. It yeah. is. I think it goes, yeah, you just got to keep watching them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they noticed that their children, that worked for them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. But they were all beautiful. I thought they were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, like the, the nativity like had grass and stuff, you know, like there was mm-hmm. like a different Texture. material, yeah, yes, that was textures, used yeah. to like, yeah. like, it wasn't painted on, like there was like some kind of moss that they put on there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so number 19 is very similar. It states the same guidelines as number 18 also apply to the atrium environment itself, the catechesis of the Good Shepherd can be realized in any social or cultural setting. That's so true. We we were one of the first churches to start CGS in our area. And uh, as it grew, we it was decided by the parish that we would build a faith formation building and they were going to tear down the building where the atrium was. And luckily we got some designated space in the new building and people would come and see it. And of course it was a new building. so. Everything was clean and nice and lovely. And at the time, the Archdiocese was also giving grant money to people to establish atria, even to the point where they would help them buy paint and ready the environment as well, like this point Mm -hmm. is mentioning. And someone said one week that they were reviewing the applications for the grant money, and one of them said, and we're so excited to start our new atrium, and all we need is a ceiling. (laughs) Because <laughs> I think they were in some closet somewhere or some oh, room that was abandoned and you could see the ductwork and things oh, over. Oh, my goodness. Try to cover it all. So it's all relative. It right? certainly is. It's all mm-hmm. relative. And I thought, God bless them. And they were so excited to start. Yes. All they needed was a ceiling. <laughs> all they needed was a ceiling. <sighs> yes. When we were planning our wing, we were meeting with the and the architects, and they said at one point, now, if money were no object, what would you want in your atrium space? And I thought, oh, what God. a question. I know, right? <laughs> Get ready. Yeah. So I said, okay, if money's no object, here's what I want. A celebration of God's creation. So I want a, a terrarium with beautiful examples of plants. I want a fountain because I work in Kansas City, the city of fountains. Mm -hmm. I want an aquarium so they can enjoy water life as well. And I would love a skylight so we have lots of natural lighting. So I just, you know, money was no (laughs) object, so I described what I thought would be the most perfect environment. So (laughs) we get this wing of this very angular building, right? And uh, for our area, we got a 
multi-purpose carpet with the real tight loops so it would, yes. the carpet would last forever. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, we have, for lack of a better description, a shape like an amoeba. Mm. And it was a light blue color that they had cut out, put in the middle. So that was my fountain and terrarium, <laughs> etc. Oh, so it was what it was. It was a clean new building. I'm not going to say no to it, but it just amused me, the contrast. So one day soon after we had moved in and we were having atrium sessions, a catechist was working with a child out there. And the child says, what's with this blue shape in the carpet? What is this? And the catechist in true catechist form says, well, I don't know. What do you think it is? And the child stops for a minute and then says, I think it's God's footprint. Hmm. And I said, I'll take it. That yes. sounds exactly what I should have asked for all along. Right? <laughs> God's footprint. God's yes. Footprint. In the middle of our atrium oh, area. That's wonderful. <laughs> I think of our atrium environment, which used to be four. This is for the level two, three, actually. It used to be all three levels. But it used to be four tiny, tiny classrooms. And all we needed was walls gone. Mm-hmm. And so we have a very long, narrow space. But it was beautiful to us. Very simple. And it still so, is. Yes, it still is. <laughs> I love this part of this characteristic that it can be realized in any social or cultural setting. Yeah. And I think that the missionaries of charity who have adopted this work and are doing it around the world really embody that because it proves that the children Mm -hmm. respond in the same way. This work works in all culture settings, all social Mm -hmm. settings, different places all around the world. Mm -hmm. They have those Mm -hmm. same reactions, but that their atria can also be essential and beautiful so much more simply than we even realize. I Mm -hmm. think that they show us a good example of that. They're so creative. Yeah. They use everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whatever materials they have, they make beautiful materials from them. Mm-hmm. Did you see that in Haiti, too? I did. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was some missionary charity who built um, Atria. And there was actually some missionaries who made, made um, infancy narrative figures out of plantain leaves. Because <laughs> wow. there's a lot of plantains in Haiti. And so that was really neat to see that variety of oh, ways. So and that, yeah. Our Atria that Megan and I built... Um, there was we had very few tables, so everything was on the floor, and but it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. The children loved it. Mm-hmm. So great, yeah, it was neat. All right, number twenty. The materials prepared by catechists for the atrium are faithful to the experimental models of the catechesis of the Good Shepherd. The designs of these models are the result of a long collaborative work of observation and experimentation and have been developed according to the needs of the child at each developmental stage. There have been so many times when I have thought I had such a great idea. (laughs) It turned out not to be such a great idea. (laughs) When we stick with what has been proven to work with children all over the world for so many years, why do we think we have a better idea? (laughs) Give us an example. No, no. (laughs) Okay, for um, the level two material of the Holy Bible, the books of the Holy Bible. We've all heard red letter New Testament, Jesus words in red, 
So, of course, the New Testament books should be read, right? Wrong. The Old Testament books are red. The New Testament books are green because of the, the, the nutrition of the sheepfold, because we hear about Jesus. So I had to repaint my books. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Yes, it was. <laughs> I was also convinced that the liturgical calendar was backwards. <laughs> no. God's time is not our time, and so it does go counterclockwise. Mm -hmm. That's enough of bad examples. Of <laughs> I think, oh. as Americans too, we want we're so independent. You know, why should someone tell us how to do anything? <laughs> My ideas are good enough. Uh, yeah, or, or I have a better idea yeah. because yeah. this was designed you know, earlier in history, exactly. and, and I'm modern. Yeah, and so I can use modern things, mm. and I think. Um, what we're being invited to here is to give the children the best yes. that we can offer. And that was discerned by Cavaletti and Gobi. And they're telling us, this is this what is they it. need. Yes. Mm -hmm. So really, they're saving us so much time, mm -hmm. yes. so much energy and, and wrong-headed thinking. <laughs> you know, when you grow as a catechist, I think you learn to trust them more and more. Because That's you see very true. the fruit that comes from it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Pretty soon you think, okay. Mm -hmm. They're right, and I need to just respect that and embrace it and revel in it that they have done all this work for me. Mm -hmm. Yes. I remember walking up the stairs to our, the first level one I ever helped leave, and I'm carrying our, the diorama freshly made with the help of my husband, who is my woodworker extraordinaire. And I'm walking up, and all of a sudden it occurs to me, I look down at it, and it's such a simple, simple diorama, and I'm thinking, this is my salvation. <laughs> and no truer words were ever spoken, right? That's true. This is my salvation. Yes. This has been such an important part of my life with God mm -hmm. in, in all its beautiful simplicity. Exactly. Oh, yes. They were very wise, Sophia and Shauna and Maria. They, they were very wise women. And, but they also understood and passed on the experimental nature of our work. So, like, we are not a, what's the right word? Static, maybe? Yeah. We are not a static work. We mm -hmm. are still experimenting, but it is slower now. But that's what's so beautiful, because we talk all around the world, literally, and say, are you seeing the same thing that I'm seeing? Are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? Maybe we need to change this. Mm -hmm. You know, that has happened still even beyond them. And I, that really feeds into the trusting the experimental nature of this work yes. and these materials that they have been tried and true mm -hmm. across the world for the last 70 years. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing we need to honor is that they're meeting the needs of the developmental plane of the child yes. we're working with. So it's not these materials that are appropriate for adults necessarily. Right. Yeah. And sometimes adults mm -hmm. look at our materials and want to criticize them because they don't understand how we're meeting the developmental need of the child in front of us with this. Yes. You know, we're not saying this is all they need for their whole life with God. We're not teaching them everything they'll ever need to know about the faith. We're just meeting those most essential needs, those vital needs at each of those developmental planes. Mm -hmm. Yes, It's hard to understand from, from an adult perspective sometimes. It is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking particularly of Jana's beautiful illustrations in the books, in the tracing packets, and I think we have redone them enough that we are away from her beautiful simplicity mm -hmm. in some cases. Mm -hmm. and 
I, I would that's... I'd have loved those yes. little gospels. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't think they would really make any difference, honestly speaking. And then the first time they I sat do. down and, mm-hmm. and read how she so carefully chose the, just the amount of scripture on each page, the whole presentation was different for me because of the way she had broken up that scripture yes. on each page. Mm-hmm. I heard things I hadn't heard before. I was emphasizing yeah. things mm-hmm. I hadn't emphasized before. I thought, oh, you know, it was one of those light bulb moments. <laughs> oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. This is yes. the best way to do it. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful we have what we oh, have. Yes. And, and the illustrations are so charming. They are. And so simple. So simple. Mm-hmm. The little headings on each book yes. are just beautiful. Yeah, they're terrific. <laughs> simple but beautiful. You can just tell. You can. Mm-hmm. And if you can't tell, you can ask a child. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they love the books. Uh-huh. Even like another one they can't read, but they sit there and flip through the books. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the level one children. The older ones like them, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They appreciate that beauty and simplicity. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else about materials that you would like to speak into before we finish today? Don't be afraid. Mm. Make them yourself. The children will love them no matter what, and it will benefit you as a catechist to make your own materials. Or even just as, even for those that are not catechists, like I love inviting people who yes. are not in the work, who will never be in the work to help make materials because then they now have a relationship with that scripture or that part of the mass right. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you can't invite them without offering the scripture that goes with the material. Right. They need to read that first or get the presentation of the city of Jerusalem before they start yes. cutting out those wooden <laughs> pieces for you. Yeah, I... I, I would say expect to make a mistake and embrace it. Mm. So every material I've made, I've always oh, made yes, a mistake in it. Absolutely. And I always hold to that. I, I heard that it was a Native American custom that they would make intentionally make a mistake on purpose. Yes. Yes. Because that meant whatever they were making had a soul. Mm. The the Lord is teaching me humility every time I make a mistake with my materials <laughs> to the point where I'll sit down with just the things I'm about to use to make a material and think, okay, I'll be watching for that mistake. You know, I'm trying to follow the rules as best I can or the PDF that's telling me how to build it, but inevitably there's something I'll look back and go, ah, oh. yeah. But now it's okay. Now maybe it will serve God's purpose and not my own pride. Yes. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> <sighs> well, thank you both. Thank you for sharing with us and spending some time with these really beautiful characteristics. Well, thank you for encouraging people to get their hands on these things and, and to make them and to create something beautiful for, for God and for the children. Thank you for all of these podcasts. They're wonderful. They are. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. In our show notes, you will find a link to read the article about materials by Jean Agobi that we read in the last episode. I'm also putting a link for you to be able to read all the 32 characteristics of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. There will also be links to different episodes, such as the episode on observation that Diane talked about with Lynn Worthington 
as well as any episode that I have done with either Diane or Linda in the past. We also have certain vendors that are certified as vendors with the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, that they, that their materials are in alignment with our work. And so if you would like to know who those vendors are, I'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. If you need access to Material Manual, which is our online manual that tells you how to make all the materials for each of the levels, you first have to be a member and then you have to have done formation for the level that you want access to. And so if you, though, if those two criteria pertain to you, you can have access to the material manual so that you can start working on materials yourself and getting your hands on the materials and start making them like we talked about in our conversation today. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, or if you would like to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening this week. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.